So we've been talking about spiritual warfare a little bit. And, um, and this isn't a coincidence. I, I believe that Calvary Chapel is in a season of spiritual warfare, as summer tends to be. Um, Bridges Beyond stuff is in spiritual warfare. Whenever Dave and Lynn come back, we go through spiritual warfare. Um, plus, we're in this, uh, this motion, which I am trusting the Lord will get completed, of moving onto Main Street, into 305 Main Street. And um, Ron warned us that all expansion is warfare, and so this wouldn't be easy. And so we're, we really still need to pray. We need to pray and pray God's blessing on everyone involved and ask for God to complete this process. And so thus we shall. Um, and we've been working through some spiritual warfare stuff. So I want to read us to read together a, a scripture and then we'll learn about it. So if we can get the next slide, please. Can we get the next slide, please, Sheldon? There we go. Come on. Okay. So why don't we all read this together? I'll count to three, and then let's read it out loud with our own voices. One, two, three. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. All right, next slide, please. All right, so I, I kind of like looking at things from different perspectives, and I've been inviting us the last few weeks to think about our lives from different perspectives, okay? So we have this physical perspective in life, and so this is kind of like when you're focusing on the physical perspective of life, you can look at the world as a matter of molecules that are just flying around, electrons are doing their electron thing, um, that you can look at the world as a matter of chemicals. There are some scientists that they just look at the world and they just say, you're just a bag of chemicals. You're just a bag of chemicals. Every human being is just a bag of chemicals, and the difference between a baby and a piglet isn't that much, except that a piglet will actually grow up and feed somebody someday. But we're just, we're just chemicals. Once there was a bang, and now there's just different kinds of chemicals, and some chemicals are volcanoes, and some chemicals are Jupiter, and some chemicals are you, but we're just chemicals. Um, and you can look at the world from the physical side as a matter of physics and just these laws that have to be obeyed. And also, when we're looking at the physical perspective of life, um, we have these, these bodies, right? We have bodies. We're, we are bodies. Um, bodies are really important. So if you look at your life, you can just think about the physical things you do. You wake up in the morning, um, and then as you wake up, all these electrical pulses travel along myelin sheaths inside your brain, which is you thinking, and you have all these thoughts like, why is it so early or why is it so late? And then you remember what you have to do today, and then you think, ah, i got to go be at church, and then, and then all, all those electrical impulses fire off the part of your body that sends the adrenaline running th- rushing through you, and then you start off your Sabbath with a, a panic attack, and away you go, or whatever. Maybe the science has increased since when I went through school. Probably. They tend to do that. But there is this physical perspective of looking at life. Um, but that's not all there is. That's one way of looking at the world. And these things aren't just set apart because um, they do connect. I've been saying there's also an intellectual perspective of looking at life. There's a way of, of where you can just look at life as, as what people think about life. Okay, so you're here. Okay, I just made you think about something. Every time I talk, you're thinking about something. Your brain is, um, is, is processing the sounds that come out of my mouth, which are all physical things, and then those 
vibrations go down your ear canals and your brain interprets it into language and you're thinking about things because I'm making physical stuff, but you're having these thoughts and you can't stop it because unlike ears, uh, your ears don't come with eyelids and so you're, you just, unless you run screaming out of the building, you're going to hear what I'm saying and you're going to think these thoughts. And then it's going to form ideas. And the intellectual perspective of life brings us to talking about what's true. And not just what's true, like is in the facts, but what do things mean? And out of meaning, we get values. Things that mean stuff that we like, things that mean things that we don't like. Um, but also, we see things intellectually as situations. Okay, So physically, we're just a bunch of molecules in the room, but this is a situation in time. And you can think about what's going on here. Who's here? What's going on? And if you add up enough situations, you get a history. The history of the world is a series of situations. And you can learn history, and you can think about it. And you can have values. We're not these good or bad. They were there. That's the physics. But was it a good thing or a bad thing that we're thinking about it? We're making values. This is an intellectual perspective of life. And don't let me lose you. But what I, And what I'm adding to this or wanting us to think about is that there's also a, a spiritual perspective of life. You can look at the physical, you can look at the intellectual from the spiritual perspective. And once we come to the spiritual perspective, which is often um, purposefully ignored in our sex, secular world and our sexual world, so that was a helpful slip, the first thing that happens is you have to start dealing with the issue of good and evil. This is a spiritual reality. And by spiritual, I don't just mean airy-fairy and light the patchouli and meditate. I mean unseen realities that are greater than just what you can see through a microscope or a telescope. But whenever something bad happens, like a school shooting, and people come out and say, this is an evil act done by an evil person, that is a spiritual evaluation. Because if the world is just molecules, rearranging the molecules isn't good or evil. Okay, so once upon a time we were stardust, and then primordial goo, and then fish, and Britney Spears, and schools, and one blob of goo made lead fly through other blobs of goo, and it's just, it's just physics. But when we react to it and say, no, this is evil, this is just wrong, then we are entering into the spiritual perspective of life, the realm of moral good and moral evil. The spiritual perspective is looking at things from the perspective of God versus Satan. Now, this is a Christian perspective, but because it's the right one, I'm just going to run with it. Um, It's the true one. I'm just going to run with it. The spiritual perspective wants to see things the way God sees things and to realize that reality involves spiritual forces that we have to deal with. And the same way you wouldn't want to go out of your house in the morning and forgetting that there is such a thing as gravity, because you will have to deal with it, you don't want to wake up in the morning and forget there is such a thing as a spiritual reality with good and evil and God and spirits in rebellion against God, because you will have to contend with it. The spiritual perspective also sees the world through faith or unbelief and deals with issues of... the importance of life, the reality of death, and what happens after we die, eternal life or eternal death. Okay, so I'm just, I'm just wanting to expand how we can think about things a little bit. You can look at the world through physical, from the physical perspective 
or just about thoughts and ideas and also from the spiritual perspective. And one of the reasons I'm bringing up all these three perspectives is because we can often go off the rails by just saying only one of these perspectives count. Okay, we don't just live in a spiritual world where every single, every single sickness is a demon. Sometimes you're just getting older. Sometimes you ha- you're low on vitamin K because of your diet. And sometimes you've just stepped on a nail. But sometimes there are spiritual forces that can make people sick. And if you read through the Gospels, you will, there are times where Jesus didn't say, I heal you. He said, get out of her or get out of him. And they got better. And we also have to deal with the intellectual side because just how we think about the world can impact our health and how we think about the world will either help us to live spiritually or hinder us from living spiritually. It's, it's perspectives and we're all connected. So next slide, please. So I've actually dealt with two of these things and I want to pick up the third one today. So two messages ago, we looked at the intellectual perspective. And the biggest question when we're talking about the world, just about thoughts and values, is what is true? That's the question. What is the truth? And it's a fight about the truth. And more recent in our culture, we've had this thing that some people have called postmodernism that came along and said there isn't really a capital T truth. There's just little truths. So everybody gets to be a god of their own little world and you get to invent whatever realities you want. And away we go. And the only thing that anybody can do wrong is to insist that there is actually a truth that is a reality that everybody has to contend with. Probably because they're specifically gunning for Christianity which does believe that there is an ultimate truth and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of the father and his Holy Spirit has created a book which is the word of God, which is the truth, capital T, truth. And what I was going for out of this is that spiritual warfare for us in our generation begins with not seeing the world as something where I get to craft my own identity, like the world is just one gigantic Build-A-Bear shop, and I get to walk into it as myself, and I get to pick my skin and pick my heart and pick my hat and pick my clothes and walk out of there as a self-crafted identity. But instead, the truth is, is that we are born into God's world, created by God, and what he thinks about us is the truth. And what he says about us is the truth. And as Christians, our fight is to come to Scripture and say, tell me who I am. And Scripture says, this is the fight. And we went through Colossians where he says, if you, as you have been taught about Christ, live rooted in him. And just keep saying, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ. And this is what it means. I'm filled up all the way because I'm in Christ. I have the victory over the forces of darkness because Jesus had triumphed over them and I am in him. I'm forgiven because I'm in Christ. I'm set free because I'm in Christ. I'm circumcised because I'm in Christ. I'm baptized with a real baptism because I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ. And this is my identity that goes below every other identity, before every other identity. Before I'm a man, I'm in Christ. Before I've got this color skin, I'm in Christ. Before I'm Canadian, I'm in Christ. And because that definition is going to outlast all the other ones. Canada could end in 10 years. There are countries in the world that are way bigger than us. And we might get them mad and they could walk in here and all of a sudden we could become the next province of China or something like that. Though bless China, 
They've got more Christians in China than we've got Canadians in Canada, so bless them. But Canada is not a permanent thing. Me being in Christ will last forever. And you being in Christ, believer, will last forever. So don't quit. This is who you are. And then the last message, you may have missed that there was actually a message in there because I looked so ridiculous and there was a sword shoved through a plunger and then I shot off my water gun. So it was a little bit distracting. And so, but what I, the big thing I wanted to say was that scripture calls us to endure. From Hebrews chapter, well, it would be 11, 12, and 13, but specifically 12, he says, it is for the sake of discipline that you must endure. God is treating you as sons. And the physical perspective of life as Christians, we know, is that there is going to be suffering. We live in a world that's cursed by God. Hello, amen? Do you remember that? God said to the woman, childbearing is going to be painful and your marriage is going to be painful. And then he said to the man, you're going to work hard and it's not going to turn out how you want and then you're going to eat dirt. Pardon? And, 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 and here are some skins, and now get out of my house. We live in a... We say the word broken a lot because we don't want to say cursed. It, broken is one of those words that Christians use nowadays to kind of put a pillow on the truth. Um, you're not just broken. You're a sinner. And because you're a sinner, you're broken. Right? Like, isn't that the truth? Our world isn't just broken because God dropped it. It's broken because we rejected God's word and his life and chose to side with Satan for a while. And now everybody dies. And so the reality is, is until Christ comes back, this life is going to be full of suffering, full of letdowns, full of discouragement, full of things not going the way you want. You're going to build a business and then something's going to go bad. It might not end your business, but something's going to go bad. You're going to have kids and it is not going to be easy. Ever. Well, sometimes. Once they go to bed. But then they wake up throwing up. Like, how does that always happen? Like, date night. Hey, baby. Like, how does that happen? We live in a fallen world. And, and even us. One of the things I was saying last week, and I want to say it again. We live in one of the easiest times ever. And it's still too much for us sometimes. And I think it's because we don't come to the truth. God has promised us it is going to hurt and it is going to be hard. And I'm treating you as my children because Jesus did not get to escape any kind of suffering. In fact, he went through torturous death on purpose in order to save us. And we are called to pick up our cross and follow him daily. So the reality is we are called to endure in this life. And as Christians, we should say my job today is to endure the hardships of the day while holding on to the truth of my identity in Christ. And this is spiritual warfare, right? This is spiritual warfare. If the enemy can get you to quit because life is hard, he wins. There was this uh, general in World War II. I think it was Rommel, but don't, uh, don't get too mad if I'm wrong. Um, he, he would just go up to the enemy. He was like a tank guy, and he would say, I want to talk to you before we have this big fight. And he would go up to the, enemy, other, the other guys who were his enemies, but probably our allies, whatever. And he would just say, look, we're just going to kill you. It's going to be terrible. All your men are going to die, and then you're going to spend the next 10 years in a prison camp, so why don't you just surrender? And they would go, oh, okay. 
okay, we surrender. And that's us. Look, it's really hard. People are going to hate you for the gospel. They're going to call you all kinds of names. You're going to have to tithe. And uh, so why don't you just quit? Why don't you just run? Why don't you just, why don't you just go do church by yourself somewhere? Just, you can live stream Bethel. You can pick up Desiring God messages. Just, just, you don't have to do this. Like, church is full of jerks, right? So you don't have to do this. Just quit. No, we're called to endure while we do the truth. Amen? We're, called, we're actually called to be ready to die. Uh, there's this line in Hebrews, I didn't emphasize it because there were all these little kids around here. But um, he says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. Like, that's the standard. I really fought against it for like two hours. Well, did you take seven bullets and bleed out on the ground? Yeah, no, then you, you could have fought better. Right? Did you die while you were trying not to sin? Well, obviously not. Well, then you could have fought harder. That, that, that's the author of Hebrews. That's his attitude. Do you ever read the Bible and just like, I have no idea what these guys' life was like. Nobody's ever done that to me. I've never come and confessed this sin to Dave or Ron and be like, I don't see your body covered in bruises. Why did you quit so soon? I'm not visiting you in the hospital. Did you even try to stop? Did you? Even, are you sure you tried? So that's just my Bible. It's not me, it's just the Bible. Now let's come to the spiritual perspective. For the spiritual perspective, the question is a question of power. Intellectually, it's about truth. Physically, it's about suffering. Spiritually, it's about power. Who has the power? Jesus or somebody else? Because whoever is the most powerful being in the universe, you better make sure that you're at peace with them. If it's not Jesus, you go find out who it is. Because whoever has the power, you need to be at peace with. And today I just want to preach to you that the most powerful thing in the universe is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my point. Because I think we forget, right? Spiritually... The battle is about who has the ultimate power. The greatest power in the universe is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe. And this is what I think can happen with us. Sometimes we forget to believe in the power of the cross of Christ. Amen? Because somebody somebody passed the law... And now we don't get extra funding for our summer jobs programs. It's all over. And Trinity Western can't have a law school. It's all over. No. I'm reminding myself. I'm reminding you. It's actually the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the most powerful thing in the universe. What was the problem? that this power solved. The, the, the big issue is sin and death. This is the big issue in everybody's life. This is the big issue of everybody's life. This is the big issue of everybody's life. Every single human being is a sinner. Every human being will die. And because we're sinners, we have guilt before a holy God. The God who made the universe is completely perfect and completely holy. And he has no obligation 
to do anything with sin besides punish it and destroy it and get rid of it forever. None. This is just the reality. I hope you feel a little bit vulnerable right now. The holy God of the universe who never has done anything wrong, has never thought anything wrong, has never willed anything wrong, has never acted in anything wrong, is complete goodness and holiness all of the time, does not owe anybody anything. And so when we as human beings rebelled against God, choosing to claim that he was a liar instead of speaking the truth, choosing to claim that we could become gods and replace him instead of that, the fact that he's the only God, his response to us was, you're going to die. And as the scriptures are unfolded, we learn that that death doesn't just mean a physical death, which you will have someday. It actually is a spiritual death where our hearts become naturally rebellious against God and we deserve an eternal punishment from God. Punishments need to be just, right? If you drive your car into somebody, um, into somebody else's car and it's a fender bender and you did it on purpose, you should get in a bit of trouble, right? Doesn't that make sense? If somebody's just like, doing smash up on you you walk at, you walk at a superstore and somebody's just backing their pickup truck into you because it's like a thousand dollar pickup truck that's barely running and say they don't care and they see your your nice car looks like they could probably get their tires over your hood and it'd be awesome and their friends are all streaming to facebook you'd be like you should probably do some jail time and pay for this but it's a bit worse when it's somebody who's driving a massively loaded um tractor trailer and they run a stop sign and plow into a bus full of hockey players and kill 19 people right that's a lot more serious and should be a lot larger consequence true what is the just punishment for trying to kill god and trying to wish him out of existence and being in his world and saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you weren't here. I just want to live by myself and do my own thing. What would be the right response to trying to kill the creator of the universe? It's bad. It's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. But God is really good. And he's really merciful. And part of his perfections is that he's also really gracious and kind. And so he... On the one hand, wanting to reveal to everybody who he really is when we think lies about him. And in mercy for fallen people, decided to send his son Jesus as a rescuer. Now right off of that, the fact that he had to do that, we should learn that we cannot be the heroes of our life. Can I just tell you, can we just agree together the truth? We can't save ourselves. You can't be the hero of your life. Um, it's like if, if a kid can't come in, came into your house and his, he's just been making mud pies out of the dog's doo-doo, you just don't want him to touch anything. Just don't even touch anything. You, you can't fix it. You can't, no, just stop. 
I have to take care of you right now because you can't fix it. Same with us. We're so far gone. When we try to fix things, we end up killing hundreds of millions of people. When we try to fix things, we become mass murderers. That's how bad we are. We need a rescuer. And so God sent his son, Jesus, who is both fully God and through this thing that we call the incarnation, he is also a descendant of a man called David who is king over Israel. And Jesus didn't just come and teach a bunch of truth and say, now go do it, see you later, I'm going back to heaven, did he? He could have. If the issue were just that we just needed to learn some more truth or that we just made mistakes, he could have just said, okay, guys, stop making so many mistakes. This is what I want you to do. Okay, number one, um, you need some low-flow toilets. Number two, kale. Number three, get some LED light bulbs in there. And number four, uh, vote liberal. Like, if that's all it took, then he could have just said that. But the Gospels teach us that everything he did in life was leading up to an event. And that event was his execution. He was arrested by the Roman authorities in Jerusalem, along with the high priests. He was tried as rebel against Caesar, which he kind of was, because he was there to say, I'm actually just as much God over Caesar as everybody else in the universe. He was wrongfully convicted. He was totally tortured. And he was made to carry his cross outside of Jerusalem. And he didn't quite make it, so somebody had to help him out the rest of the way. He was crucified through his hands and feet with nails. He was made to hang until dead. And then he was buried. And then on the third day, God made him come back to life. And then sometime later, he went back to heaven so he could give us the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the thing. God wants you to believe this and put your trust in this Jesus. And don't, don't just say, I've been to church my whole life, okay? I, look, haha, I found you. Don't just say, I've been to church my whole life. Because I have been a Christian pretty much as long as you've been alive, and I am still figuring this stuff out and learning it. You are not an expert in Christianity. You need to put your trust in Jesus and figure out the power of the cross. Amen? And don't worry, young men, I'm looking at the guy behind you. <laughs> We have to believe this, put our trust in this. Because if we don't lay hold of the power of the cross, it is just a Jew hanging hanging off of some wood in a city that is still there, but generations long gone past. We're supposed to put our trust in this Jesus come back from the dead. And he is alive. This is the great thing about Christianity. You're not just coming to a way of doing things. It's not just a system. It's a living king who loves us it's a living king who can be here now through the holy spirit and in your house and in your bedroom and in your workplace and inside your very body and in your mind he can be everywhere alive talking speaking doing moving accomplishing leading guiding rescuing changing things because he is alive he really is i know him okay i only got saved when i was 18 And I'd already done enough stuff to to be able to agree with Jesus. I deserved to go to hell. Like really. Like the way I treated some people, the way I thought about some people, the way I lived. If Jesus had come back and said, I'm going to send you to hell, I would have been like, I kind of agree with that. 
But I don't know what happens there because usually agreeing with Jesus means that you're saved. So I would kind of, I don't know where he would go there, but like I was 18 and I, I knew there was something so wrong with me and I couldn't fix it. But Jesus came to me. I was reading a book about Jesus that he can change your heart. And I was like, that's what I need. And like, I don't even really know what was going on there, but like a presence came into the room. And it's the weirdest experience because I was old enough to remember um, in my art class, people talking about Jesus. And I remembered mentally not being able to think that he was real. I was just like, uh, what? Uh, uh." And then two years later, being like, okay, he's so real. And now I cannot ignore him. And I woke up the next morning and I was freaked out because my whole family, we heard a cabin with my family. We just spent the night talking about how dumb Christianity is. That this, there's this sociologist, just call it the opiates of the masses, which essentially is we all come to church on Sunday and we get high on lies. And then we go into the rest of our week just stumbling around. At least I got Jesus. We just, you know, we're just high on lies. Come to church, get high on lies. That'll be our new slogan on Main Street. Calvary on Main, get high on lies, you know, and then we'll be like, and, and we'll put the tellers back in there so everybody can get 50s out for tithing and just swipe it and high on lies. There was a guy in the newspaper who thought that that's what we're going to do. So here I am one night, I'm just, we're just making, I'm making a lot of Christians, they're just high on lies. And then the next morning I wake up, I'm like, Jesus is real and I cannot ignore him. And I think I just gave my life to him. Because he really is alive. And it means something. Now because God was doing something on the cross of Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a tragedy where somebody got killed. It was a mission. And the first and most important thing God wanted to do on that cross was to bring glory to himself. He's so sick of everybody believing these lies about him. God is so done with people believing that he's evil, that he's cruel, that he's controlling, that he's a jerk, that we're better off without him. He refuses to let his name be tarnished. And so he sent his own son to die for his enemies so that people will see this is who God really is and we will praise him and glory in him and honor him forever for how he truly is. God is so amazing and holy that he cannot ignore a sin and he is so amazing and holy that he would come himself in his son to suffer and die for me. I'm going to praise him. I am going to praise him. Me. Me. Because I see a little bit. Not everything, but I see better. That's the most important thing. The truth about God revealed on the cross. The second most important thing was he was dying as a sacrifice. He was being punished with a punishment he never deserved so that people with a punishment that they do deserve could have that punishment paid in that punishment. And I've lost you and I will find you. I will find you. And we get it. We understand in baseball when someone calls in a pinch hitter, we don't think this guy can hit this ball. He's going to go sit down. Somebody else is going to come and hit the ball for him because he can do it. 
There's not a human being who can go through the wrath of God and survive. There's not a human being who can stand before the holiness of God in their own merits, in their own works, and survive. We needed a pinch hitter. We needed somebody who could take the the wrath of God for us and come out of the grave on the third day. And this is the miracle of miracles and no one could figure out, but God knew the way. And he did it. So we have in the living Christ somebody who already was punished for us and is alive to still love us. And hallelujah, and why are you still sitting there? And that's okay, you're just being polite. But make sure you praise him. Christian, you really are forgiven. And I know many of us walk around with our secret lists, me included, of things that we're still really, really upset about that we've done. He really does forgive you. His son really bled and really died. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You really are forgiven. God really is. As you look to Jesus and you say, I believe in the power of the cross of Christ, he really does hold nothing against you. It's paid. Lay hold of this by faith. This is the most powerful thing in the world. Because as long as we're guilty, the devil, who's a lawyer, and bless lawyers, there's good lawyers. I've met one. (laughs) But the devil's a lawyer. And as long as he can accuse us, he will. And that's the danger. doesn't matter how strong or smart you are, how many prayers you pray, or how many incenses you smoke, if the devil can get in the face of God and say, this person deserves to die, it's true. They deserve to die. The only thing that can get in the way of that is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. But it really does shut up the devil. His whole game plan is shot. His whole game plan is shot. It's like in deflate gate all over again. It's exposed. They're going to fill up the football all the way. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. What's the sport that Steinbeck likes? Soccer? I don't even know. Hockey. There we go. The devil's a Bertuzzi. The second thing that happens is you're reconciled to God. Okay? It's not just like you're forgiven and goodbye. It's like you're forgiven, come home now. That's what God says. I forgive you through the cross, now come home. Come home in this life. If you're a Christian, your home is God's home. When you come home, you come home to the Lord. He wants to be with you. He likes you. He loves you. He desires to be with you. He wants to spend time with prayer, in prayer with you. He wants to spend time with you at picnics after church. He, you're reconciled. You're brought to friendship. You're brought to relationship. This is one of the great things because guess what? I know you. You're lonely. Hello? Amen? We're the, some of the loneliest people ever unless you have a great prayer life with the Lord. Canadians, we do all our relationship with our thumbs, right? Post. Wow, 600 likes. Unpopular and very long. There, there's this one psychologist who was talking about how often he's working with teenagers these days who can spend like three hours texting with friends, but once they get into a room with people, they don't know what to say. That is a big picture of being alone. But you're not alone with the Lord. You're reconciled. You're reconciled. You're adopted. You're brought home. Through the cross of Christ, your ongoing sin is definitively weakened. Um, you don't actually face a sin or a bondage that you can't beat in Christ. It's just going to be hard, and you're going to need to learn some more truths. 
Through the power of the cross of Christ, as we believe in it, we're actually able to live in love with one another. This is one of the things, I'm going to get vulnerable here, and my wife's, I think, behind a soundproof glass, so we're good here. One of the things I see in myself that I do not do often enough is just look at my wife and remember that she is totally forgiven by God through the cross. And even if I'm mad at her for some reason, God's already forgiven her. So what am I going to do? The cross of Christ actually enables us to love each other. The cross of Christ says, when you come into Calvary Chapel, why don't you just leave your, your judgments in the car? Because you know what? You're, you're forgiven, Dave, for all that stuff that you did to me. All that stuff. Like, all that stuff. And that was just this week. All that stuff. I'm totally joking. We actually are enabled to have relationships with each other through the power of the cross of Christ. It does change things. And, and I know sometimes we can think, I don't know if it does, Rob, but this is the thing. I'm pretty sure you have not labored in prayer calling down the power of the cross of Christ over some of your relationships. Because I, I, we don't do it. It's not our habit as Christians. I, know, I listen to how we pray. We don't just stand there going, God, the cross is the most powerful thing ever where God died sucking all of our sin and the rage of God and the guilt of Satan that he heaps on us, sucked it down into the tomb and he came out totally spotless and guiltless and now there's resurrection power alive here today at Calvary Chapel and maybe we shouldn't even put this sermon on the internet because this is special what we're doing here and we don't need to publicize because Jesus is alive here so I'm calling down the power of the cross on this we just say thank you and do nice things and see you later and we're going to live forever that's an important thing too so I know I've gone a long time Just give me a few more minutes, okay? My burden for today is to help us to get into being a little bit more excited about the power of God in our lives without feeling embarrassed about it. Because many Christians feel like um, to actually believe that the power of God is alive in you is pride, right? If you, if you kind of let your holy strut come out just a little bit, you'd stay humble. You're still a sinner, but let the, let the, look, Colossians 2, man. I am filled in a, in a way you don't know about. This, Colossians 2, my fair. I just meditate on this one all the time. For in Christ, the, the whole fullness of the deity dwelled bodily. What does that mean? It means Jesus, everything it meant to be God was inside his body. Walking around. How did that even work? I don't, why even ask God? You don't even know how your smartphone works. Why would you ask God how the incarnation works? Right? You just, you just use it. Everything it means to be God is in Jesus. And you have been filled in him. Is the next line. So what's missing in you? Nothing. Everything that it means to be God is in you. And because, because God doesn't want us to get proud, he doesn't like make a shine or anything like that. But we're not supposed to be going through life going, well, I just, I don't know, I don't speak well, I don't talk well, I don't do all this stuff, and I, I'm tired in the morning, I'm tired at night. Hold on a sec. You're filled in him 
who is filled with everything it means to be God. So shouldn't there just be a little bit like of a... It's like when you're wearing your, your best undies. I forget I just said that. You got a little strut. Nobody can see it. But it's awesome. Now I'm being silly, but I've got a point. These truths, nobody can see it. But it's still there. Okay? When I, when I come into an area of spiritual oppression, come into an area of spiritual pushback, I've got the cross. Nobody can see it, but it's there. Amen? Okay, when I'm facing a character challenge, I'm still getting angry, I'm still just selfish. I want to quit and let the devil win. Like, that's a great way to punish your sin is to let the devil win in your life. Not. You can't see it, but the power of the cross is here. Because I'm actually dead to my sin. You can't see it, but it's awesome. And I'm actually alive in Jesus. You can't see it, but it's awesome. And so we're dealing with the, real, the, the, the thought, what's the truth? I actually died on the cross with Christ. That old me, that, that me that needed to die. And the real me, who is who I am in Jesus, is alive right now. And sometimes my feelings don't match up with that, but shut up. <laughs> right? Amen? Sometimes my feelings don't line up with the truth, but like, feelings are wonderful. I love feelings. When feelings are right on, when, feel, when your like, joy is lined up in worship, when your joy is lined up in your thankfulness, doo, 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 your feelings are great. It's like, it's like you're a dog sled guy and your feelings are just pulling you along because they've been fed the truth and they're just ready to run. But if your feelings jump into your house and go to the bathroom all over the living room, you can give your feelings some discipline. No! Down, Corba, or whatever dog sled dogs get called or whatever. Just, bad dog, bad dog, get back into your kennel. Right? Because feelings need to do their job, which is to re- rejoice in the truth. So, long story short, taking the, the, the highs with the lows and the rough with the smooth, this is what I want you to do. I want you to grab your cross and attack. It's time to attack. Attack. Take the power of the cross and attack. Attack your marriage. Attack your friendships. Attack your business. Attack your school. Attack. You have the most powerful thing in the universe, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Attack City Hall. Attack Manitoba. Attack. Attack Canada. Attack Africa. Attack. You have the power. Guess what? God loves nobodies. You're a nobody. Go for it. Attack. Take the cross. Take the spirit. Attack. 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 Progress. Move forward. Get more Christ-like. Grow in the spirits of God. Give more. Suffer more. Endure. Attack. 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 Move forward. Attack. Progress. Grab your sword. Grab your gun. Make sure it's a real sword and not a water pistol. And attack. Attack. Like, stop complaining. And attack. Get some help. And attack. Confess your sins. Attack. Give. Attack. Attack, attack, move forward. You have the most powerful thing in the world through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he sidelines you for a little bit for a reason, great. Attack your frustrations. Attack your unbelief. Attack your guilt. Attack your shame. Attack, attack, attack. Move forward in the cross. You have every right to, Christian. Don't get proud. You're still a sinner. But attack, attack. 
Progress. Attack. Who has the power? Christ. Who tells us to go and make disciples throughout the whole world? Christ. What is the most powerful thing in the world? The cross of Christ. And through faith, you have gone through it with him. So attack. Let's attack. And I'm saying that as the biggest wimp in the room. I confess it. I know it. After the last message, I went home and I just, God, you know I'm the biggest quitter and I hate suffering. I know you're not done preaching on this stuff yet. Oh, there we going to I am the biggest one in the room. I will take you for a head-to-head wimp contest and you will do great <laughs> in losing or winning, whichever way it works. However, the truth of God, the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, the name of Christ, you will win. You can win. You will win. You will come back from the dead, ready to receive glory and honor and praise for how you have walked in faith and endured in faith. So attack, attack with hope and know every time you move forward, the enemy is going to want to ruin your day and your week. So rejoice, attack. We got in the news a couple times in the last month or so. Did anybody see any of that stuff? Like they put the Facebook thing for the Steinbeck online and all these little, little commenty comments came up. Comedy, 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 comedy. And the first time I was like, oh dear, do we have to say something? And people seem unenthused. And then the second time it came up, I was like, this is so good. You know, this is the first time ever Calvary's been in the news. I don't care if they don't like it. This is so great. How do you know you're moving forward in Christ? People don't like you. People who don't know Jesus don't, know, don't like you. That's probably a sign that you're doing something right. So attack. Keep going. Press forward. Don't give up. Don't quit. Push. Push. Don't quit. Push. Send out a text to your friends. This is good. Let's keep going. The only thing we could lose is our building. Great. Home church ministry. Cell group ministry. Online. Attack. Will there be comfortable chairs? I don't know. Do you own a comfortable chair? Let's meet at your house. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much. Uh, Lord, I just give it to you. I know I'm being a bit silly sometimes. But Lord, I, I, I'm trying to get it. And we're trying to get it. God, you really do love us. You really have forgiven us. And the cross of Christ really is the power and the wisdom of God. This is the truth. Father, I pray, even now, as your Holy Spirit's here, God, would you remove wrong thinking? Father, the lies of the enemy, Rob, you don't understand. I'm defeated. Well, if you're dead, then let Jesus resurrect you. Put your eyes on the the resurrected Christ. And even if you can't do that, he's still real. Jesus, would you help us to get bold in the Lord, not for our own sake, our own glory, but because we get it more and more and more. It's about the cross of Jesus Christ. If God can get us through it, he will cause us to grow through it. His will is not that we get bitter, but that we grow better. Everything that we survive is for his praise and glory as we share with others.